Welcome back. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Real Talk Bible Series, part of the Edmo Show. And today we are going to be covering Genesis chapter 47 and 48. So we are almost at the end of Genesis. A lot has a lot has happened and everything. You know, everything is everything. Uh, you know, uh, just a recap for you guys. In chapter 45 and 46, the sons of Israel returned to their father with news that Joseph is still alive. Uh, after after they they after learning the news, sorry, after learning the news, Israel was eager to move his family to Egypt to join Joseph. And also, uh, Pharaoh was very excited uh, to meet Joseph's family, and he he uh, already had promised that. They would get the fat of the land, the best that Egypt has to offer, which was which is Goshen. So in today's chapters, we are going to cover 47 and 48. There's a lot that is uh, pretty much like one big happy family reunion. Uh, there is. Uh, you know, I'm not even going to spoil it for you guys, but if you guys do want to follow along, we are using the TLV, the Tree of Life version from the Messianic Family Jewish Bible. And we are using Dennis Prager's book just to give us some context um, called Genesis, God, Creation, and Destruction. Now, uh, if you guys want to pick those up, trust me, they they do me no offers. I get no money from this. Um, I just think that they are good resources for people to use. And it's definitely helped me out, especially Dennis Prager's book, because... As I've said in the past, but for those of you who are new to joining us, the reason why I'm using the TLV version is because I want to get the Hebrew context, the Hebrew traditions from the Bible. I wanted to get the info from the horse's mouth. So if those of you aren't aware, Jesus was Jewish or Yeshua and the first quote unquote Christians were actually Jews. All of Jesus's disciples were Jews, I believe, for the most part. Um, well, ninety percent of them were uh, were Jews. I believe one may have been Greek. I'm not entirely sure because I haven't read it from cover to cover. But in that in that saying, if uh, Yeshua was Jewish and he and he is doing things from a Jewish perspective, and he also stated, and we're going to get there sometime down the road, Jesus said that he did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill them. So if there was no Christians, if there was no Christian law, what laws he's talking about? He's talking about the Hebrew uh, Israelite laws from Moses and also to fulfill the prophecies. So that is why I'm using a more Hebrew heavy version of the Bible. Now, if you want to use King James, use King James. If you want to use the NIV and all these other like new or different translations, by all means, use them. However, for me, I'm using the TLV version just because it is very heavy in Hebrew from the Old Testament to the New. And of course, Dennis Prager's books also help out tremendously because he writes them for everybody. Not just Jews, not just Christians, um, but also he writes it with the atheist, the agnostic, the non-religious in mind. And with Dennis Prager being a being Jewish himself and also having way more years of experience and knowledge and resources to help connect those dots 
I use his books to, especially for the uh, for the Old Testament. But um, who knows? But we'll we'll definitely see. I know he has a, another book coming out for Leviticus. Uh, Genesis was actually the second book uh, of his. The first book, Exodus, I have. I read it. I loved it. It it, it helped me start my journey down this path to where, all right, I want to do my own biblical commentary. And it's going to, and my goal is to not only learn, but to invite people to join me. And, you know, if I can change some minds, because I've definitely changed my own mind. Well, I didn't change my own mind. The Bible actually changed my mind. Uh, then maybe I can do that for someone else coming from a similar situation in life. Because for those of you who are now joining us, I was not always a Bible believer. I even said in the beginning of starting this that I have a lot of un- unanswered questions. I, I was questioning the, excuse me, I was questioning the divinity of Yeshua. And especially, and I know there's debates on whether if it's Jesus or Yeshua, I've heard some heavy-handed Christians who are very steeped in the Bible say it doesn't matter, but actually it does. It does matter because, and I I jumped ahead to Matthew, Yeshua's name actually has meaning, whereas the name Jesus has no meaning. Some people try to use the argument, well, as you do translation, that's like calling, um, uh, what, what's a good name? That's like calling Michael in English, Miguel in Spanish. However, that's not really the same because Yeshua, I mean, Yeshua has a meaning in Hebrew and Jesus has no meaning whatsoever. It is a modern creation. It is a modern interpretation. It is a modern spelling. And for those of you, if you want to, um, if you want to just, just go down that rabbit hole, please, I, I, I tell people, go down that rabbit hole, do your own research. Don't just believe what I said. But if we're going to take, if we can already clarify that Jesus himself was a Jew, and if we look at the Jewish alphabet, there are no J's in the Jewish alphabet. Jesus is not even Greek uh, because in the Latin and Greek, there is no J as we know it. And I believe, what was it? The, the, the Genevieve, version of the bible the bible that the settlers came over with it was spelled iesus i-o-s-u-s which is very greek and then as time progressed our alphabets changed our words have changed our use of words have changed then they changed the i to a j and in most countries around the world the j makes a y sound and it's still iesus which still has no connection to yeshua so it's just something that they've thrown in there. It is a mistranslation. And as some people um, have said, you know, it doesn't matter about the translation as long as the meanings are the same. I, I tell them, well, it doesn't matter what ro- it doesn't matter what direction you take uh, as long as you follow the path. And that may not make sense to some people, but that's like if you're following a GPS and you may not know where you're going, but yet you're not following the checkpoints on where the GPS is telling you to go. So if you want to take a longer path, a by all means. Um, but however, take sometimes taking a longer path as I can attest for myself can send you down a road where you begin to question things as with my childhood. I, I question, I grew up in a church. I questioned the Bible because a lot of things did not make sense. 
So with that being said, we are going to get started. So chapter 47 is titled Jacob's Ble- Jacob blesses Pharaoh. Then Joseph came and informed Pharaoh, my father and my brothers and their flocks and their cattle and everything that belongs to them have come from the land of Canaan. And behold, <laughs> sorry, I'm going to say something about, about that after they are in the land of Goshen. The, re- the reason why I laugh is because as I'm reading this, they I feel like they overuse the word behold because it's like almost every chapter, almost every other paragraph. It's behold, behold, behold. So I'm going to keep reading. From among his brothers, he took five men and presented them before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? So they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds, both we and our fathers. Then they said to Pharaoh, we came to dwell temp- temporarily in the land, since there is no pastures for the flocks that belong to your servant. For them, famine is severe in the land of Canaan. So now please let us, your servants, live in the land of Goshen. So notice there that they said temporarily. So Dennis writes about that. Uh, Dennis also, he highlights the fact that Joseph instructed his brothers to be honest about what their occupation was, This, even though he knows the cultural the cultural issues that the egyptians have or the cultural hostility that the egyptians have with shepherds they 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 seem they feel like shepherds are beneath them and um and uh dennis writes uh in using the hebrew word lagur translated here as to sojourn but literally meaning to reside Joseph's brothers identified themselves as resident strangers, resident aliens in modern parlance, residents, but not citizens of the country. This is in accord with uh, God's prophecy to Abraham. Know that your offspring will be will be resident strangers, Garim, in the in a land that is not theirs. Genesis 15, verse 13. And Dennis has a essay um, titled The Moral Power of Empathy. Awareness of their ancestor status in, e- in Egypt, first as strangers, then as slaves, left a deep imprint on the Jewish consciousness. Thus, the repeated Torah, turns down a little bit, the repeated Torah injunctions to love the stranger because you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Uh, see, for example, Exodus twenty two twenty. 22, 21 in the Christian Bible. Exodus 23, 9, Leviticus 19, 34, and Deuteronomy 10, 19. This Torah law is uh, predicated on the principle that empathy is a prerequisite for living morally. It is probably fair to say that universal empathy would end evil, yet many lack empathy, yet many people lack empathy. And why, uh, and why they do this why they do is one of the riddles of life. How can a person see another person suffer, let alone deliberately inflict suffering and not feel empathy since it is impossible for people with empathy to understand people who lack empathy. One can draw only one of two conclusions. Either some people are born without the ability to empathize or they are people who can empathize, but only with those who are like them. I think many, but not all people in the first group can be taught some degree of empathy. 
As for the second group, they need to be taught that people unlike them are just as human as they are and suffer just as they do. When people regard those unlike uh, unlike them and less than fully human as Jews are viewed as anti-Semitic blacks by racist and landowners uh, and the uh, bourgeoisie by communists, empathy cannot exist. Okay. So in this, um, one of the things that I've taken out uh, was that he talked about the resident alien and especially in today's society for the last couple decades, we have been having an issue with this whole topic of citizenship, um, illegal immigration, um, all this other stuff. Now we have an administration that is very friendly to illegal immigration. Now, here is the difference. And I've heard some people say, well, the Bible says that we should be kind to our neighbors and all this other stuff. Yes. However, we also have laws in play. And to the degree that we're that we're seeing here in the Bible, the Pharaoh uh, invited them in. So to that effect, um, the, the closest thing that I can say is the Dreamers Act. The Dreamers Act was, and I could be wrong, I don't have all the facts right in front of me, but to my my understanding, the Dreamers Act was used for, I believe, the El Salvadorian people because they were going through a political crisis. So the government allowed the allowed the El Salvadorians to come into America temporarily. So by the biblical standard, they would be resident aliens. They would be a people who were not intended to be grafted into our society. They were only here temporarily until things in El Salvador would correct themselves or it would become a hospitable, a a more humane place for them to live. It was never meant for them to live and become Americans. Now that is not to say that they couldn't. However, it was only Temporary. So now what we have is politicians trying to they took the Dreamers Act from the El Salvadorian people and then they've they've widespread it to virtually almost anybody that comes through the southern border, which to me is a very, very dangerous thing to do, because now what we have is we have people from Honduras, El Salvador and all these other places um, coming in through Mexico, trying to use the whole um they are refugees. Now, if you don't understand the refugee laws um, of the world and America, then, of course, this would sound like a very inhumane thing to do. But if you are going to declare yourself as a refugee, you are a refugee of the place that you first land in. So and with that being, if you like in case case in point, Mexico, they would have to in order to be a refugee also before I move on. You have to be a person who is being targeted for religious, political um, reasons, whether or natural disasters. So if the case was if the Mexican government was brutally killing Christians, if or if the Christian government was brutally killing atheists for the sake of them being atheists and they wanted to uh, file for refugee, to be a political refugee in America, they can do that because Mexico is our neighbor, not Honduras, not El Salvador, all these other things. 
So Honduras and, and Guatemala and Mex and uh, El Salvador, they are on the other side of the Mexican border. So they can't come to America and apply for refugee status because America is not the first place they landed. Mexico is. So they would have to apply for a refugee status in Mexico. Now, some people say, well, that's no better. They want to come to a first world nation. I'm sorry. It doesn't work like that. You know, if you're from Guatemala, Honduras and El Salvador, if you land, if, if, uh, if the first place that you land in is Mexico, then you have to apply for refugee status in Mexico. And then you have to go through the Mexican status. I mean, the Mexican laws for applying for citizenship or whatever programs that they have, even if they have their own dreamers act. So that's, that settles that debate. Um, even though it probably won't, cause you're still going to have people that are responding with their feelings, even though Dennis talks about empathy. However, there's a point of where empathy can become dangerous, where you are so empathetic to the point where it is detrimental to yourself. So in the Bible, we're talking about uh, like Pharaoh. Pharaoh invited Joseph's family to Egypt. He didn't invite the whole, he didn't invite the, the, the Hebrews, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites. He didn't invite all of them. He didn't invite who everybody who was dwelling in the land of Canaan, just the Hebrews. That was it. So the Hebrews came in and then they were few in number. It wasn't like they were a whole nation. They were few in number. It was technically a family. It was like a, I forgot what it was called, but uh, a family visa, if you will. But to the point of empathy, we can we can empathize with people because of their conditions. We can empathize with, you know, how bad a nation is. And by all means, America is by far the most giving nation in the entire world. I mean, Mexico isn't really even doing as much for El Salvador, Honduras and Guatemala as America is. And I understand places like El Salvador uh, and Honduras is horrible like they treat their people horribly however we do have these laws in place you can't just come through the mexican border and then file for for a a refugee status you know at the border you know you can but now we have then there's the legal aspect of it we don't have a plot of land you know set aside for for all the people of of guatemala honduras and and el salvador set aside in America, we don't. And to this administration who who tries to bash the last administration, but the, the president who was the vice president of the time where they were doing catch and release, where they would catch legal uh, illegal aliens coming into the nation and then they would give them a court date and then set them free into the bosom of America and you would never see them ever again until they committed a crime or whatever. And that's not to say that every person who comes illegally is a bad person however you are coming in on bad terms so unlike in the bible where we're talking about here with the hebrews and the in the egyptians they are coming in on good terms because pharaoh invited them now that goes to the original intent of the dreamers act the original intent of the dreamers act i believe was for the el salvadorians the Salvadorians were allowed to come here with the with the intent that they would be resident aliens. They would not be American citizens. So they would at whenever 
I guess the designated time, I forgot how, how long it was, they would go back to El Salvador. So the original agreement here, <clears throat> sorry, the original agreement here, and as you heard from Joseph's brothers, was that this was going to be temporary. How long? They didn't know, but it was only temporary because they knew that their homeland was Canaan and that they were only here because of the, the famine. So let's move on. I know to some person who is very, you know, very empathetic, overly empathetic with this whole migrant crisis and all this other stuff. You know, I, I get how that can rub some people the wrong way. However, we do have laws in place. You can't just come in, you know, to to America just because he, your country is worse than ours. You just can't. You know, there there's steps to this. And as we see in the Bible, there was steps to this. You know, Pharaoh sent his brothers away with carts with the intention of them coming back to Egypt to live. And he had already set aside a plot of land for them. So let's move on. Oh, yeah, got my black magic coffee. All right. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, saying, your father and your brothers came to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best part of the land. Let them live in the land of Goshen. If you know of any capable men among them, make them overseers of the livestock over those that are mine. So Pharaoh's pretty much putting the Jews in, in charge of livestock. Because they are, they are shepherds. And then Joseph brought his father Jacob and presented him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Uh, Pharaoh asked Jacob, how many days are the years of your life? Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my sojourn are 130. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. Moreover, the days of the years of my life have not attained the days of the years of my life. Of the lives of my fathers in the days of their sojourn. That is a very big tongue twister. And I'm pretty sure Dennis described that one. So, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from Pharaoh's presence. Joseph settled his father and his brothers and have them and had them uh, and have them property and gave them, sorry, and gave them property in the land of Egypt, in the best part of the land, in the land of Ramses. Just as Pharaoh commanded and Joseph supported his father and his brother and his father's entire household with food for the mouths of their little ones. Interesting. I didn't know, I didn't know that the land, um, the best part of Goshen was called the land of Ramses, which I'm pretty sure that's probably going to come up because I read an article. I'm not really going to go too deeply into it, but I read an article where they talked about because I had a question of who was the Pharaoh in um, that Joseph dealt with because they never really name him in the Bible. So, and then all these experts kind of went in and gave their two cents on, uh, on who that could be. So Dennis has another essay. Yeah, I see it has two essays. <sighs> okay. All right. Uh, life is a journey and uh, to where? So when Pharaoh asked Jacob about the years of his life, Jacob responded with the years of his sojourn, speaking of his life as a journey. Altar observers, uh, altar observers, that is indeed one of the two meanings of this response. 
Jacob has been a series of wanderers. Oh, Jacob's life has been a series, a series of wandering or sojourning, not uh, not a sedentary existence in one place. The other meaning Alter writes is human. Oh, wow. Damn, Siri. Spies, they spying on me. Uh, the other meaning uh, Alter writes is human existence is by nature a sojourning a temporary dwelling between non-being and extinction. Alter uses the term extinction rather than death uh, is instructive. As a, as a secular man, Alter assumes extinction upon death is our fate. This is in no way reflected on his, on his commentary, which is both scholarly and illuminating. Moreover, it is to his credit that he wrote extinction. Many people who believe there is no afterlife do not honestly comfort, I mean, confront the consequences of that belief. Oblivion awaits us after death. It's interesting. Then his second uh, essay uh, is titled Jacob's Desired, describes his life as brief and hard. He speaks more. He speaks for most of us. Jacob briefly describes his life as if he was talking to a long lost friend, not a king of Egypt. His regard for his years as having been few and difficult, the difficult part is easy to understand. From his youth, since his, since, uh, his scheme with his twin brother Esau, struggle and pain have been the hallmarks of his life. And he regarded his years as few because he assumed he would soon die and compared, and compared his 130 years to his father's 180 and his grandfather's 175. His assumption, however, was wrong. He lived to 147. Jacob was no uh, was no stoic. He indeed, I mean, he tended to regard himself as a victim and let others, even Pharaoh, know it. Here is Alter's view of Jacob's uh, summation of his life. Jacob archived everything he aspired to achieve: the birthright, the blessing, the marriage with his beloved Rachel, progeny, and wealth. But one measure of the profound moral realism of the story is that although he gets everything he wanted, it is not in the way that he would have wanted. And the consequences and the consequence is far more painful, uh, is far more pain than contentment from his clashing Genesis 25, 22 uh, with his twin brother in the womb. Everything has uh, has been a struggle. Uh, he displaced Esau, but only at the price of fear and lingering guilt and long exile. He gets Rachel, but only by having Leah imposed on him. With all the domestic strife that entails and the loss, and he loses Rachel early in childbirth, he is given a new name by his divine adversary, but comes away with a permanent wound. He gets a full solar year number of 12 sons, but there is imminent, there is enmity, sorry, among them for which he bears some responsibility. He spends 22 years continually grieving over his favorite son, who he believes is dead. This is in sum a story with a happy ending that withholds any simple feeling of happiness at the end. In other words, given Jacob's response to Pharaoh, it would appear he he did not subscribe to the well-known saying, 
all's well that ends well. The truth is much uh, the truth is much of humanity could sum up their lives uh, the way Jacob did. Too few years are and hard, such as life. Jacob was real. The Torah is real. Yeah. And it's funny, um, just highlighting that that tidbit was um was that as we're reading it and especially going through his essay, it, it's like we can read that Jacob's life was hard, but sometimes we don't make the connection because we because Jacob has had success and on top of that Jacob is now rejoined with his son so but if we actually look at his life his life has been hard his life was very it was harder compared to his father and his grandfather before him and so on and so forth you know Jacob's life has been by no means you know a very blissful life like well a very easy life I should say because every time he turned around he was dealing with somebody something or he was running from something or working towards something like it was always like a rat race for him so um so yeah that that's definitely an interesting outtake so we're going to continue the title of this uh this subchapter is called Joseph's leadership in the famine now this one I had a little bit of issue with Just a tad, just a snippet. But um, now there was no food in the land because the famine was very severe. Both the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished because of the famine. Joseph collected all the money that he could be found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan for grain that they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. Then the money of the land of Egypt and of the land of Canaan ran out and all the and all of Egypt came to Joseph saying give us food why should we die in front of you because the money is gone that sounds a lot like today but i'm going to keep reading before i even touch on that actually no let me let me touch on that it it, it and it kind of goes to this whole thing where just government, you know, government overreach. And, you know, even though this is talking about uh, Joseph's leadership, but it, you know, severe, like the severe famine put everyone in this situation to where, you know, they're running out of money. They're, you know, they, they don't have, they, they don't know what to do, you know, because they, maybe this year was probably harder than all the previous years. Or now that the rations are running low, you know, the money is, is running out and all this other stuff. Like now things have to change. And as when I had Alfonso Rachel, you know, he talked about this is a severe famine. So I'm going to continue reading. Joseph said, uh, give your livestock and I will give it to you for your livestock. If, if the money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph and Joseph gave them food in exchange for horses, for flocks of sheep uh, for herds of cattle and for donkeys. He provided them with food in exchange of all their livestock that year. So this is for a year. When that year came to an end, they came to him in a second year and said to him, we won't hide from our Lord that the money has run out and the livestock and the domestic animals are my Lord's. 
There is nothing left in my Lord's sight except our bodies and our land. Why should we die before before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for food. We and our land will become Pharaoh's slaves. Provide seed so that we may live and not die, uh, and the land won't be deserted. And again, that and then this this speaks to the to the another realization that I had that the Bible is a true and real book because even in this time we're talking about the human condition, what human beings will do, especially in a urbanized setting because Egypt is a urban slash rural setting that. These people are so willing to give up their own freedom for safety and security. And it said Egypt. It didn't say, I don't think it said anything about the Jews, but it said Egypt. Even though, even though you know, uh, uh, Joseph took money from both Egypt and Canaan. But the fact that these people are so desperate, so hungry for food, that they're willing to give up their own freedom just for some sense of security. And we are seeing that today. We have so many people that are willing to give up their rights, give up their freedoms for, for some security. You know, they're, they're willing to, to pay more taxes and, and tax the rich. And, and, and that's definitely what, after watching uh, the president's a hundred day uh, uh, speech, that's all really all they talked about. You know, yeah, he he dressed it up. He made it sound pretty and stuff. But if you understand what you're listening to, he wants people to give up their freedoms, give up everything that everything that is for them to have free education. Education is not free. Free health care. Health care is not free. Uh, food and all this other stuff. He wants to add four more years to the education system on top of the 12 we already have. Which to me makes no sense because if you have 12 years of education, you still can't get out of, of, you can't get out into this world and get a job. You don't really have any real world skills because our education, but he sees fit to add another four years, but addresses nothing about the quality of the education. Um, They want to raise taxes, you know, for, you know, especially for during this pandemic to give out more welfare checks. I heard him say something about um, he wants to give uh, more child tax credits. But in order to get and one thing you don't understand, and it like here in the in the Bible, the government doesn't generate wealth. It says that Joseph had to take the money from Egypt and Canaan and had to trade the money for the livestock. He was willing to give them livestock for you know, in in a in a means of exchange, same with our government. Our government, yet yeah, while it may print money, our government does not generate wealth. The government has to take the wealth from the economy that is created by you, the people, to give it back to you in some sort of cockamamie government public service. Which, if the government left you alone, you would be fine. Now, I understand that. I understand taxes. And we should have taxes or tax revenue for the sake of crisis, which we are in now. But giving people short term checks does not do anything because eventually, like in the Bible, the food will dry out. The food will run short. People will get desperate. 
people will demand more. They came back the following year asking for more. And there was really nothing to give. So I'm continue reading. So Joseph uh, bought out, bought all the land of Egypt of Pharaoh because the Egyptians, each one sold his field, the Egyptians, for the famine over, uh, for the famine overcame them. Thus the land became Pharaoh's. Sounds a lot like our government today. You know, it's funny because nobody really owns private property anymore because the government has their hand in everything. If you're paying property taxes on land that is quote unquote yours, the, the government owns it. You're just living on it. He made the people slaves for from one end of Egypt's borders to the other. Only he did not buy the land belonging to the priest. The priests had an allotment that the government gave them. Therefore, they did not sell their land. Sounds like a, sounds a lot like our politicians. Then Joseph said to the people, behold, I have bought you. I have brought I have bought you and your land today for Pharaoh. Here is seed for you so that you can sow the land during the harvest. You must give fifth parts uh, to Pharaoh for and fourth parts you will, uh, will be for you for the seed of the field and your food and for those in your house and for food for your little ones. You've saved our lives, they said. Mm. You saved the, you saved our lives, they said. We find favor in the eyes of my Lord. We find favor in the eyes of my Lord. And they're not talking about God. They're talking about Joseph. And and we'll be and we'll be Pharaoh's slaves. So Joseph set it in set it as a statute until the very day concerning the land of Egypt. A fifth part goes to Pharaoh. And only the priest's land did not become Pharaoh's. Meanwhile, Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen. Uh, acquired property in it. Well, well, let me reread that again. Meanwhile, Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, acquired property in it. And they were, and where, um, and they, uh, and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. So pretty much the Israelites did not have to give up their I don't I don't the way it's written to me does not sound like the the Israelites gave up their land. It doesn't really sound like that to me. I mean, it, it sound meanwhile the Israelites settled in the land of Egypt and the land of Goshen acquired property. Yeah, they acquired property and were fruitful. So it seems like Joseph only really put this on the Egyptians. Okay, and uh, then there's another subchapter uh, titled Parashat, um, Parashat Vayechi, and which means and he lived. Uh, Joseph's promised, uh, Joseph's promise to Jacob. Let me see. Okay, now Joseph lived in the land of Egypt for 17 years. So the day of jo- of Jacob. Oh, no, no sorry. Now, Jacob lived in the land of Egypt for 17 years. So the days of Jacob, the years of his life were 147. As the end of Israel's death drew near, he called for his son, Joseph, and said to him, if I have found favor in your eyes, please put your hands under my thigh and show me faithful kindness. Please do not bury me in Egypt. When I lie down with my fathers, you must bury me. You must carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. So he said, I myself will do according to your word. 
Swear to me, he said. So he swore to him. Then Israel bowed down and worshiped on the on the head of his staff. But in the Bible, they put a little caveat, which means the his bedpost. So Dennis has a couple couple things here. Um, uh, this is going to uh, verse twenty one. And he removed the population town by town from one end of Egypt, uh, Egypt's borders to the other. This verse is not easily to this verse is not easy to understand. The Hebrew may mean by town, uh, town by town or city by city. As translated here, it actually states the population was moved to towns or cities. But the Hebrew is not the problem. Joseph's policies may be. Why did he move whole populations? Perhaps it was more effectively distribute, uh, is more effectively distribute seed alternately and more darkly. Uh, it could have been done to ensure they understood the land no longer belonged to them. But despite Joseph's intent to feed the Egyptian people during the prolonged famine, his economic policy described here and in many remainder and in the remainder chapter. In the remainder of the chapter, transformed Egypt into a feudal state. The Egyptian people gave up their freedom and to become serfs of the state. Whether or not the Egypt, whether or not Egypt became a totalitarian, a totalitarian state, what is known for certain is that all modern totalitarian states have been created with the promise that people would be better fed, better clothed, better educated, and given better medical care. But it doesn't work. People who forfeit liberty for food end up both unfree and poorly fed. Exactly. Then he writes, this is about 24. When the harvest comes, you shall give one fifth to Pharaoh and four fifths shall be yours. Uh, Lior Gutleb Gottlieb, uh, has a positive take on Joseph's plan. Joseph uh, ingeniously negotiates a deal in which the people are led to feel that Pharaoh is entitled to everything, but in his compassion is going to take only 20% and they will remain with the 80% as a form of a, as a form of salary for their work and what is now Pharaoh's land. Yeah. Sounds a lot like our government. Uh, then, uh, uh, Dennis has a has a uh, short essay. Lifespan in Genesis means much more than the than the number of years lived, as explained in this commentary of a number of occasions. Though not, sorry, not really uh, discernible to readers, lifespans in Genesis often have sign- significance beyond their literal number. The lifespan of three patriarchs provide. Another such example, Abraham lived 175 years, uh, which is five to second power times seven. Isaac lived 180 years, which is six to second power to five. Jacob lived 147, seven to the second power times three. In this series, the squared number five, six and seven increased by one in each case, while the while the coefficient seven, five, and three decreases by two in each case, and the sum of the factors in the same in each case, 17, five plus five plus seven, six plus six plus five, seven plus seven plus three, 
Uh, these patterns, lifespans exist to suggest divine elements to the lifespan of the patriarchs. Uh, and then he, his final words. Uh, yeah, and then he he refers back to the placing your hand under my thigh, which is to make a contract. So that is it for chapter forty-seven. We're going to move over to forty-eight. Forty-eight blessing of Ephraim and. Uh, Manasseh. After these things, someone told Joseph, "Behold, your father is sick." So he took his two sons, Manasseh and uh, Ephraim, with him. When someone told Jacob, saying, "Behold, your son Joseph has come to you," Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. Then Jacob said to Joseph, "El Shaddai appeared to me in Luz in the land of Canaan." Sorry, that was my phone. I should have turned it off. Anyway. In the land of Canaan and bless me. And he said, and he said to me, I'm going to make you fruitful and multiply you and turn and turn you into an assembly of peoples and will give this land to your seed after you as an everlasting possession. So now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, they are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh will uh, will be mine. Just like Reuben and Simeon, which is interesting. I don't really understand that one. Any descendant of yours whom you, whom you father after them will be yours. They will be identified by the names of their brothers for their inheritance. Now, as for me, or when from uh, Padan, to my sorrow, Rachel died along the way in the land of Canaan. While we were still in the distance from entering uh, Ephrath. And I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. So, and this chapter is also pretty short. So Dennis uh, has a first note when he talks about Shaddai. Uh, as explained in the commentary to Genesis 17, 1, the modern period, it is sometimes noted this name of God, Shaddai, appears to be related to the Hebrew word Shaddaim, breast. Uh, which is the feminine uh, and may refer to a feminine aspect of God. However, the notion that Shaddai comes from Shaddaim is not born out in a scholarly, in a scholarly lecture, according to God's, according to God's gender, the God of the Torah and the other books of the Bible incorporal and is therefore neither male nor female from Genesis one uh, verse one, on God is both desexual and degendered, another radical uh, departure from all other Near Eastern religions and all other religions in the world, which is depicted, which depicted gods as either supermen, or in the case of goddesses, superwomen. Nevertheless, the Torah later, the Torah and later Judaism portrays God in masculine terms. For an explanation, see the essay, Why God is Depicted in Ma- as Male in Genesis 1. Which I'll probably end up reading later on. Um, God is the center of Jacob's message to Joseph. Whatever Jacob's weakness, he accomplished at least two great things. He kept the Israelite clan together and kept the concept of an inevitable, of an invisible and just God alive. We are reminded yet again that the land of Canaan is for Jacob's descendants. There is to be one place on earth where, J- where God's presence 
is particularly felt. That's why the term Holy Land is used to describe the land of Israel by Jews and Christians to this day. Jacob adopted Joseph's sons into his clan of Israel as if they were his own sons and not his grandsons, thereby Joseph, thereby giving Joseph through these two sons a double portion in the inheritance. Jacob had 12 sons, whom became the 12 tribes of Israel. However, neither Joseph nor Levi were given their own lands. Joseph's two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, as a result of their adoption by Jacob in this verse, had their own lands and Levi being the tribe, being the tribe of priests had no land. If Joseph has any more children, they will be Joseph's children. They will not be considered Jacob's only Ephraim and Manasseh are to be so considered. According to Nachmanides, because Jacob planned to ask, to ask Joseph and his other children to bury him in the caves of Machpelah, Genesis 49, 29 through 30, and 50 verse 5, I mean 55, yeah. Uh, he felt the need to justify why he did not bury Rachel in the cave. He explained he was traveling when Rachel suddenly died while giving birth to Benjamin, Genesis 35, 16 through 21. Therefore, he was unable to take her body to the family tomb. So we're going to move on. Then Israel saw Joseph's sons and said, who are these? Joseph said to his father, these are my sons whom God has given to me here. Then he said, please bring them to me so, my, so I may bless them. Now Israel's eyes have grown heavy and with old age. He could not see, so he brought them near him and he kissed them and hugged them. Then Israel said to Joseph, to see your face I didn't expect. And look, God has let me see your offspring as well. Then Joseph took him from then Joseph took them from his knee and bowed down, and bowed with his face down to the ground. Then Joseph took his uh, took the two of them, Ephraim with his right hand across from Israel's left, and Manasseh with his left hand crosses with Israel's right, and brought them close to him. But Israel stretched out his right hand and placed it on Ephraim's head, though he was the younger, and his left hand upon Manasseh's head and crosses his hands, though Manasseh is the firstborn. Then he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has shepherded me, who has shepherded me throughout my life to this day, the angel who redeemed me from all evil, may he bless the may he bless the boys. And may they be called by my name and by my and by the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac. May they multiply to a multitude in the midst of the land. When Joseph saw that his father placed his right hand upon Ephraim's head, it was wrong in his eyes. So he took hold of his father's hand and removed it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. Joseph said to his father, not like that, my father, because this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand upon his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also will become a people and he and he also will become great. But his younger brother will become greater than he and his seed will be the fullness of the nation. Then he blessed them that day and that day and said. In you shall Israel bless by saying, 
may God make you like Ephraim and like Manasseh. Thus, he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, look, I am about to die. Uh, but God will be with you and and will bring you back to the land of your fathers. Now, I myself give you one portion, one portion more than your brothers. That that which I took from the hand of the Amorites and with uh, and with my sword and my bow. And that is it. Now. There's a lot here, even though that was very short. I'm getting a lot of static. I think it's my headphones. Okay. Um, let me just find a good place. Uh, Ham- okay, so about 48, verse 12, uh, bowed down low with his face to the ground. Hamilton writes, Joseph may be the second most powerful man in Egypt, but he never loses his respect for his father. This is another reason to regard Joseph as a particularly impressive individual. Yeah. Uh, verse 48, uh, uh, verse 14, but Israel stretched out his hand, his right hand, and, and laid upon Ephraim's head. Uh, Dennis writes, as was the case in just about every society, the right hand was considered more important than the left. For a Bible example, see Exodus 15, verse 6. Uh, for your hand, O Lord, glorious in power. In English, the left derives from the Anglo-Saxon, the Anglo-Saxon lift, uh, which means weak or useless. Therefore, when offering a blessing, a father would place his right hand on the older child and his left hand on the younger. But Jacob placed his right hand on Ephraim, treating the younger son as if he were the firstborn. We do not know why Jacob did this, favoring the younger over the older. But it is certainly in keepings with the Torah, with the Torah's, uh, and he puts God's in, in a question mark, attempt to undo all the traditional society's preference for the firstborn. Okay. This uh, reversed blessing may therefore have been God's will. How else explain Jacob's prophecy in verse 19 regarding Ephraim, excuse me, Ephraim surpassing Manasseh? who thus joined Cain, Ishmael, Esau, Reuben, and Zerah uh, in having their firstborn status undermined. Jacob is, of course, blessing Manasseh and Ephraim, not Joseph. According to the traditional explanation of this verse, the Torah states Joseph is being blessed because the ultimate blessing for a parent is to know their child, that their children are blessed. I might add that nothing... Nothing so moves parents as when they see their own parents love their children. And this was an interesting part in the in the blessing. Uh, Dennis writes, the angel may be another reference to God or God's messenger who have helped guide Jacob's life. I don't think so. I really don't think so. I think the angel that they're talking about is Yeshua. And I say that because, you know, as as we understand, as we understand the the Hebrew word for angel, it means messenger. However, uh, Jacob says the angel who redeemed me from all evil, and he says the God who has shepherded me throughout my life, uh, throughout my life, 
to this day. The angel who redeemed me for all my evils. May he bless the boys. Last time I checked, angels don't really bless people. It was God, even though angels may grant blessing on God's behalf, but it's not the angel himself that blesses people. So, um, yeah, so I, that's why I'm, I'm assuming that this was Yeshua. All right, uh, see your younger, see your younger son being favored by his father. Joseph may have feared Jacob was making the same mistake with Ephraim and Manasseh. Jacob made with him, and his. And then he, uh, to this day, uh, Jewish fathers bless a son on Shabbat Eve by placing their hand on their son's head, reciting the prayer, the Shabbat Eve blessing for the daughters is linked. Uh, to the matriarch, may God make you like Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah. And he's uh, and he closes out with the last verse. Uh, according to Sarna, the Amorites is a genetic is a generic term for pre-Israelite people of Canaan. Jacob wanted Joseph to know he fought for the territory he is now uh, that he is now giving him, though the Torah never mentions this battle. So we actually covered a lot of things in just these two chapters. We we covered some immigration law. We covered uh, some politics. Yeah, this one was very politically heavy. Um, we saw that there was a little bit of disagreement between father and son on the blessing of their children, which is which is interesting because oftentimes, like, uh, and I I don't know this for myself yet. But I've experienced it with uh, with my grandmother, and my mom. You know, sometimes my grandmother will do things my mom does not like. But my grandmother's like, "Look, I'm his grandmother. You you just his mama." So <laughs> I think that's that's an interesting point that that tradition or that that dynamic it happens. Even though Joseph does have a legitimate concern of everything he went through, he does not want his sons going through that with the jealousy and and all that other stuff. But to the political point. The I I take this as a warning, um, and 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 just reading in between the lines, I don't think that Jake that Joseph took took anything from the Israelites. I believe that he only took from the Egyptians. Now that as as I stated before, like we have to be weary of. Of the government taking our freedoms, because as we'll see in in Exodus, the, the Jews end up becoming subjects of Egypt. They become slaves. They become servants. And the way that they paint Egypt at that time in Exodus does not sound like a very happy, pleasant place to live for anybody. But in this time, even though they're going through a famine, you have a benevolent Pharaoh king leader who is looking out for the best of his people and he's willing to do whatever to make sure his people survive and joseph even though there you can speculate that there was some sort of nefarious you know i don't think so but uh that is the lesson here is be careful of giving up your freedoms for security and we'll see that with um even though the the Israelites are blessed by God and they're already preordained 
to not remain in Egypt. However, it's going to be hundreds of years to the point where people forget who Joseph is. And it's it's very telling that even in hard times, what people will do. And we're seeing that in hard times and desperate times. I've seen so many people instead of fighting for the right to for businesses to to open back up for um, to, you know, reduce overreach. People settle for fourteen hundred dollar checks and maybe in the future we'll look back on this. But however, the issue is once you give up your security once you give up once you give up your freedom for security, you rarely, if ever, get it back. And it's seen and if you really look at American history, the more freedoms we give up for some sort of security, the less we get. You know, it, it wasn't I don't believe it was intended for our government to get so big, so powerful. However, things happen. And I understand why sometimes decision the decisions are made that were made at that time. But the issue is that benevolent king isn't always going to be there. There's always going to be another person taking their place. It's always going to be another crisis. It's always going to be it's always going to be something else. Nothing nothing is perfect forever. And to give your own freedom for security leaves you vulnerable to have more freedoms taken later on because they will justify any reason. So now you have the president saying that you have to, you know, virtually demanding people to take the vaccine. Um, I've heard uh, I've heard people like the mask. We've had every study of masks not working. However, they still want you to wear a mask, even though we've been masked up for a year, even though we've been, quote unquote, quarantined and, and all this other stuff, social distance for a year. People are still getting COVID. People are still getting sick. People are still, you know, dying. They're not talking about the flu. They're not talking about any other deaths. You know, everything is COVID, COVID, COVID. But the government is taking more and more. And you can tell in the time of Trump and his administration, while Trump did, I don't agree with everything that Trump, how Trump responded with the COVID crisis. I honestly, and but I understand the fear of this. This this is an unknown virus, supposedly. So what are we going to do? We're going to quarantine, but we never we never fully put. And it's not just Trump; it's all of our leaders. It's even down to the state level. We never put. You know, at first it was okay if you catch it, quarantine yourself for fourteen days, and so on and so forth. Now everybody's wearing masks, even though. Fauci, the CDC, all these other people said masks don't work. And now we have the vaccines. We have several different vaccines and you still have to wear a mask. So what's the point of having a ma- of having the vaccine if you still have to live like you didn't have the vaccine? Be careful of how much freedom you give the government be- because you never know if and when you'll get it back. Remember, it, it, it was supposed to be, you know, it's supposed to be Oh, uh, however many days to flatten the curve. It's been a year. Biden also said in the first 100 days, we're going to mask up. He even went as far as to put mask mandates on federal grounds outside. I drive past monuments and they have signs and you're outside to wear a mask. Um, if I don't, I don't wear a mask when I'm outside. I don't, I don't know. I refuse. You're not going to make me wear a mask. I'm sorry. It's not going to happen. 
it's just not. Now, I'll wear a mask if I'm going into an establishment out of respect for that establishment. However, I'm not wearing a mask in my car. I'm not wearing a mask in my house. I'm not wearing a mask when I'm outside. You can kiss my ass. I'm not doing it. However, out of respect for a business, if that is their rules, fine, I'll put on a mask. I don't like it. I don't agree with it. However, you have what I need and I need groceries. I need this and that, you know, so if I and but that is voluntary. I voluntarily wear a mask when I go into these places. But for the government to mandate a mask, man, and they're on the verge of mandating vaccines. I think I heard something about now at the time of this recording. Oh, if you have the vaccine, you can now gather outside with people. Get the get out. Go go away. That's that's not happening. I I I've, I've for this whole year, I do not wear a mask when I'm outside. I do not wear a mask when I'm in the car. I, you know, I, I don't mean to brag. I don't mean to boast, but I, I don't. And I've known people who've gotten COVID, and, I, and almost every person that I've known who's gotten COVID has gotten over it. They said, yeah, it sucks. I, like, it sucked. I've heard some people say it wasn't that bad. I've heard some people say they were on the brink of death, or they felt like they were going to die. But... To each his own. I mean, if we're living in fear, we're always going to live in fear. And the powers that be will always take advantage. They'll always take your money. You will always come to the government begging for something. In the time of Joseph, one year, Joseph took all the money out of the land of Egypt and Canaan and and gave them seed and food and all this other stuff and traded with them. And they came back the following year complaining that they're going to die. So it's never enough. It's never going to be enough. The government will always try to find a way to do something. So don't give up your freedoms. Don't give up your money. Don't give up anything. If anything, like we, we need to be working on politics, like these leaders to hopefully restrict, take away like Trump was doing. This is not a this is not saying oh Trump was the greatest president, but however, Trump was doing a lot of rollbacks. He was doing a lot of deregulation. The more freedoms you have, the easier and better your life is. Now, you know, even though Trump started it with these stimulus checks or these COVID relief checks, these checks don't last. It's not enough for people to live on. So what are they going to do? Are they going to take more tax? They're going to give you more checks. Where's the money going to come from? So what you're telling me is either you're going to have to print the money, you're going to have to make up fake money that has no meaning, no value, no nothing, take more of my freedom. I still can't work. I can't go out and make my own wealth. I can't go out and make my own you know, success. And you're going to tax me more. You're going to tax me for two reasons. Because nothing that is given is free from the government. You have to print money. So there has so now the cost of everything is going to go up because you have to assume the cost of this baseless money or because the government is printing all this money you have to tax the people to recoup that money you have to there's no way any like I did not believe Trump I did not believe the gov any politician that says oh you're not going to tax it. you may not tax me directly but you're going to tax me in some other form of fashion you know, they, they have over a, a million ways to tax you. You know, it, it's, it's ridiculous. But people, take, take this chapter, look at COVID, and do your own assessment. And see that, like, don't fall prey to, to this government security. Even it said the Israelites bought property. 
they became fruitful and they multiplied greatly. The name of the game is self-ownership and freedom. Buy property. Like, stop going to the government for help. And and that's not to say that the Egyptian that the, the the Israelites had a lot. They had to make for themselves. So you have to come in with skills. And even addressing the president's speech, he talked about how all these new millionaires are are being generated during COVID and he didn't think it was right. That's because what he doesn't understand is the economy. He doesn't understand that wealth generation. And this happened under Obama. Obama had so many regulations to the point where people turned to the internet to create businesses. There was a, there was a internet business boom during Obama. That's not to Obama's credit. He did not do that. People did that out of response of what are the policies that he was putting forth. So and so if it's like now I have to get health care, I have to do this or as an employer, I have to if I have so many employees, I have to give them health care and I can't afford it. Or now I Biden is talking about raising the minimum wage to fifteen dollars. Now I have to pay them. I'm just going to go start an S corp. It's just going to be me and I get to keep after I pay my overhead. It's just going to be me. So if I'm doing sales, if I'm doing internet sales on t-shirts, hats, whatever, some sort of ebook and all this other stuff, I don't have to pay anybody. I don't have to worry about all these these different costs and I still get to use some tax loopholes. Now the government's complaining about these tax loopholes that they created. You see, there's always going to be something. But not even that, just put your faith in God and your family and put faith and put your faith in yourself and doing the right thing. Don't fall prey to hard times, hard decisions. There will always be hard times, hard decisions. We have to make decisions for a better tomorrow or with tomorrow in mind. Because oftentimes if we make these rash, short, emotional decisions, we only get rash, short you know, gains. And they don't last very long. So just... You don't have to listen to me, but I, this is what I'm getting out of out of these chapters. So with that being said, if you guys please want to help out the Edmo show, uh, we do have PayPal. The, the uh, link will be in the description box below. You can also visit our friends at Wilder Tactical. Use that Edmo uh, 21 to get uh, to get a discount or you can visit us on Teespring. We still have merch going on. Uh, we have T-shirts, COVID masks, all types of other stuff or you know, or if you guys, you know, if, if you're on hard economic times like a lot of us are, just give us five stars and a comment and share the show, like the show with people you like and with people you dislike. Because trust me, that is worth just as much as gold in this industry. Simple five stars and a simple, nice or mean comment doesn't matter. Still helps me out or helps out the Edmo Show family. And uh, yeah, we will see you guys next. We will see you guys Later on with another Edmo show and we will see you guys next Saturday for the final two chapters of Genesis. Peace out.